Hi, this is Steve Nerlick from Cheap Astronomy. La, oh, la, oh, 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 cheapastro.com. And this is Cosmos One. Cosmos One represented several important firsts. It was to be the first ever solar sail, and it was also going to be the first ever citizen-driven or to use the Planetary Society's terminology, space-advocacy-driven, spacecraft. But, before I start raising too many expectations, it's best to tell you that Cosmos 1's launch rocket suffered a staging failure, so the whole mission never happened, and the spacecraft was destroyed. But plans are already underway for Cosmos 2, so hopefully all this thinking will come to fruition sometime soon. Cosmos 1 was aboard a rocket launched from a Delta III class submarine, which, adding to cheap astronomy's growing list of poorly pronounced Russian names, was called Borisoglebsk. The launch took place off the coast of Norway on the 21st of June 2005. The rocket had two stages, with Cosmos 1 sitting atop, with its own small booster rocket intended to give a final kick up to an altitude of 840 kilometres before the 100 kilogram Cosmos 1 set sail. Its sail, made of eight triangular segments of mylar foil, would have unfurled, looking like a set of closely fitting windmill blades creating a total surface area of 600 metres squared, which is about the area of a basketball court. Each of the 15 metre long mylar segments of the sail could be swivelled like a rudder that turned the whole spacecraft, so that it might sail with the solar wind directly behind it, or tack across the wind stream, and even sail into the wind to slow the craft down. It was anticipated that with the sail unfurled, the spacecraft would sail in low Earth orbit, keeping the sun at its back when not in shadow, which would increase its velocity so that it would rise to a higher Earth orbit to at least 100 kilometres altitude over the expected 30-day life of the mission. The craft would have been gradually accelerating as a result of the radiation pressure of photons colliding with the sails. And, as there would be almost no air resistance, the spacecraft would experience a close-to-linear acceleration, minus the gravitational drag as it rose to a higher orbit. Assuming the first stage of the mission had been successful, the next phase was to test flying Cosmos 1 on a microwave beam, fired up from the 70-metre Goldstone dish in California, a part of NASA's Deep Space Network. This would have been a particularly interesting part of the mission, for reasons I'll explain now. See, there's some limitations to solar sailing. Photons from the Sun radiate outwards in an expanding sphere, so the further away from the Sun you get, the lower the density of photons become, and so the weaker the force pushing against your sail becomes. In the vicinity of Earth the density of photons would be sufficient to add about 160 kilometres an hour to Cosmos 1's orbital speed within a day, and could add maybe 1,600 kilometres an hour 
to its speed within a hundred days, and so on. But as a solar sail increases its speed, it also has to move to a higher orbit, which means it starts moving away from the Sun, so the amount of acceleration force available to it begins to decline, and eventually it will reach a maximum, although constant, velocity. Just where the Sun's push effectively runs out, and what speed the craft would be flying by then, is dependent on factors like the mass of the spacecraft and the surface area of the sail. Unlike the experimental Cosmos 1, the real point of doing all this would be to carry a payload of some sort, at least some scientific instruments and a camera. Moving this sort of mass means you would definitely need a bigger sail, which means more mass itself, suggesting there's a need for some kind of formula to tell you what kind of sail you might need to carry what kind of payload in order to meet different mission objectives. So, for now, what we really want is some data on the functional performance of a solar sail, perhaps through the proposed Cosmos 2 mission. As well as needing a better understanding of sail surface area to mass ratios, there are issues around the tolerance of low-mass sail material to surviving extended periods in space. An ideal solar sail should be highly reflective, as this will result in it experiencing twice as much radiation pressure as, say, a black surface that just absorbs photons. The anticipated 30-day lifespan of Cosmos 1's Mylar sails before they began degrading from the effects of solar radiation, would need to be greatly improved upon if the solar sail concept has a practical future. But, nonetheless, it seems reasonable to assume that one day, solar sail spacecraft might be able to ferry light payloads from Earth orbit, perhaps to the Moon, and perhaps even to Mars or Venus. If you wanted to go to Venus you sail it into the solar wind, which will reduce your velocity so that you fall in a decelerating solar orbit towards that cloudy, greenhouse-gone-crazy planet. But if you want to go to Mars, you are going to sail with the wind at your back, enjoying an exhilarating and accelerating orbital trajectory up the side of the sun's gravity well until you catch up with the orbit of that red dead, or is it, planet. More theoretical is the idea of extending the range of solar sail spacecraft by sailing them on a microwave beam fired from a dish like Goldstone, though perhaps we would build one out in space or on the moon, but even this size beam would lose its punch with distance as it slowly became scattered and spread out through space but it could conceivably maintain a solar sail spacecraft's acceleration well beyond the edge of the solar system, so that even when it did lose its punch, the spacecraft would continue at a constant and impressively high velocity out into interstellar space. So it would seem this technology offers some capacity to send multiple low-mass spacecraft to nearby star systems, a trip that might take hundreds or even thousands of years, 
but might get those spacecraft to a new star system economically, or dare I say it cheaply, where they could once again start sailing around a strange new gravity well, investigating an alien star system and any extrasolar planets that might be there. Anyway, poor old Cosmos 1 was hopefully just a first faltering step in a technology with a bright future. Sailing on the seas of space-time has got to be worth another try. Thanks for listening. This is Steve Nerlich from Cheap Astronomy, www.cheapastro.com. Cheap Astronomy offers an educational website where cheap is just another word for accessible. No ads, no profit, just good science. Bye.